I am a person that I'm not necessarily a big like biohacking fan and being like, again, like you don't need to take this cold bath or these very like tangible specific things. I am a person that much more promotes working, you know, doing what's going to work for you. So some of it is like, I always tell people step one is building awareness around you and your habits, your thoughts, your emotions. So you can recognize when you're starting to get uncomfortable, when you're starting to feel out of control. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 40 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of TheMotherRunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today we hear from Shannon Mulcahy about mental strength and the everyday things that we can do to be mentally stronger when it counts. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. The tips that she gives are things that you probably didn't think about. No, she's not gonna tell us to take cold showers every day. She's gonna tell us to how we can take good care of ourselves day to day and then also how to push through in a hard workout or race. Some more about Shannon. She's a mental strength coach with a master's degree in sport and exercise psychology. She's worked with clients ranging from world champion swimmers to amateur and professional triathletes runners to cyclists, coaches, collegiate teams, to athletic departments, to the military, including as a master resilience trainer performance expert with the U.S. Army. She knows the value of performing at your best when it counts most while having fun along the way. Shannon is obsessed with understanding how our minds work. She's someone who is always in her client's corner. So we're going to get to our interview with Shannon after the short message from our sponsor, Runner Click. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hey, Shannon, it's great to see you. Great to see you. We're finally making this happen. We've been trying to connect for quite a while, and here we are. And I'm so excited because mental strength is a topic that I have really wanted to delve into for a very long time. So I'm really excited to talk with you about it. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So how did you become a mental strength coach? I'm always fascinated by people's backstories. Yeah, so I grew up as a competitive swimmer, and I really needed a sports psychologist. And I did not know that the field of sports psychology existed. I knew absolutely nothing about it. And eventually, in talking with my swim coach, he kind of was like, hey, I think this book might be interesting for you to read. And that just kind of opened my entire mind to sports psychology. And I started figuring out that this was a career, this was a path. And pretty much from the day that I started reading that book, which is not even, I mean, it's a good book, but it's not even like, it's not that life-changing of a book necessarily. Okay. What book was this? It's called Mind Gym. Okay. It's, I feel like it's a great, very like beginner read. It has very small, like little nuggets. It doesn't necessarily 
teach you a lot. I, I don't want to like sound bad about the book. It is a good book. It was probably one of the first to be put out there in this field. Yeah, I think we've just kind of progressed since then in the style of books that we would read now is a little bit different is all. But at the time, and for like a 14, 15 year old, it just felt so transformational for me and like just eye opening. And I just really haven't looked back. Everything just made sense. It was the first time that not that I felt validated necessarily, but in that someone was talking about exactly what I was experiencing. I remember at the time having bad anxiety as a swimmer, and it felt like none of my teammates were experiencing that. And I was struggling with things. And I would try to talk to some of my teammates and my friends. And I don't know if they either just didn't experience it. I maybe didn't explain it well, or they just didn't want to share or all of the above. But I felt so alone and was like, nobody else gets this. And my mom grew up as a swimmer and she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I would just no. felt, it felt very Come like, on, mom. <laughs> she's great, but it felt very, very like, this can't be right. Like what is going on? So being able to just hear and read more and see that, oh, this is a whole field. Like other people experience this. This is actually very, very common. It felt very like, I guess, just validating for me as an athlete, but it made so much sense. It just clicked. And I was like, I want to do this and help other athletes who are experiencing this or who maybe didn't know that this exists like I didn't. And now, you know, we're starting to know a lot more about the field of sports psychology and more people know about mental performance coaches. And you hear in the news more about baseball teams, football teams, professional athletes working with professionals. So it's getting a little bit more mainstream, but I just really wanted to help the athletes who maybe didn't know that this even existed. Is it a field that is just for the elite athletes or do you work with all sorts of athletes? Because I know like, I mean, I think most people deal with some form of anxiety when it comes to performance or mental blocks or, you know, we're not all out there like all the time performing to the best of our ability on that given day, you know, like we always have hurdles, whether we're aware of them or not. But I think a lot of people who are just like, you know, recreational runners or whatever, they feel like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not an elite. I don't deserve to have a mental strength coach. And I, I don't know, I feel like that's wrong. Like, I feel like we all should be out there trying to do the best we can. And if this is a tool that's good for us, then, hey, let's use it. So do you only work with elites or do you work with all levels? No, I work with all levels. I think it's a little, I kind of draw the line with like youth athletes because it gets a little murky on just even what level our parents pushing their kids to be at to some extent. So a little bit with sports psychology is you have the side of it where it's more mental health based and then you have the side that's much more performance based and that's where I fall. So if there's, if you have a youth athlete who's going, like, I'm struggling with anxiety and depression, like, they absolutely should be seeing someone. But if you have, like, a 10-year-old who the parents are like, oh, I need to help them with motivation, and they're not focusing at practice, and these things, I'm like, they're a kid. Like, <laughs> there's some things that maybe we can focus on instead. But yeah, sports psychology really is for all people, all levels, all everything. I think it's very similar to how, like, strength and conditioning was. like. 10, 20 years ago, and that it felt like it was mostly for college teams and athletes or professionals. And then it slowly started getting to the point where now it feels like half of the runners that I know have like a strength coach or are following a weightlifting plan. Like, I think we're just a little behind in getting there, but it's people are starting to realize, hey, we all can benefit from this. Yeah. And I think that the tools that 
I think we're about to talk about can be woven into our everyday lives and can help us. Cause I mean, we need mental strength pretty much in all aspects. I know as a mom, I am often finding myself like trying to grasp onto the same tools that I use when I'm running as far as like, you can persevere through this hard time of your kid having a meltdown over the socks that you chose, that they chose or whatever, you know? So you work with athletes, you focus on the performance aspects. So if somebody comes to you and they have, they have depression or anxiety, you're kind of like, okay, this, you need to go see somebody else, a therapist, a psychologist and deal with that. Yeah. So I am not a licensed mental health professional. Again, sports psychology is slightly weird in that if the umbrella term sports psychology, like I have a master's in sports psychology. However, I do not have any licensure to treat mental health related issues. So it gets confusing for a not like someone who's just not immersed in the field, essentially. And that's, that's on our field for not explaining that well and not classifying things like that's not on anybody for not getting it. But yeah, so I have a number of clients who they also work with a therapist or some will say, hey, I'm on medication or I've been in therapy, but I'm maybe not right now. We, you know, disclose those things just because it might slightly impact performance a little differently. If you deal with every single day anxiety, you're going to have a different experience than someone who's getting only race anxiety. That doesn't mean that we can't work together. That doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. It's just a different approach a little bit. And that's the nice thing with our field is that they do train us to be like, hey, here are these things. Here's how you work with them. Like we do have experience with that. It's just, I will typically refer you to the person that you need to see to get the help that you need for what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Okay. So let's start with how do you define mental strength? Yeah. So I will say mental strength, mental toughness, and resilience, the way that they're talked about can get a little murky and blurred. There are different definitions. In some ways, it matters. In some ways, it almost doesn't because how we're using them and just talking with each other, we all kind of refer to them as the same things. But typically, I'm looking at mental strength as being able to deal with stressors, being able to deal with the things that are going to come up and potentially get in your way and you still being able to perform to your best of your ability, just regardless of what those circumstances are. So it's not, when I think about mental toughness, I think about really just being able to push through no matter what. And I know I've talked about this on several podcasts. I am very passionate about the social media version of mental toughness and like how we phrase things and look at it as very much push through, push through, push through. And I see that as mental toughness and pushing through no matter what. And I see mental strength as knowing when you shouldn't push through and being able to actually pull back, whether that's in a race like taking a DNF, whether that's understanding that you're injured, or even just being able to, after practice training, the race is over, being able to process something really crappy that happened that day. We don't want to just stuff everything away and push through at all costs possible. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you read Steve Magnus's latest book, Do Hard Things, in which he does a great job of redefining mental toughness, that it's not like, oh, I broke my leg and I'm going to keep running this marathon, <laughs> you know, like it's, I feel like it's having the big picture. And so, and it's almost like mental strength then I feel like is very, it is synonymous with resilience. So what does it look like? It looks like 
like I said, having the big picture, making the right choice for you in that moment. It's coming up on hardships or challenges and being able to make the best decision for you in that moment instead of just being overtaken by the negativity and surrendering. Yeah. And it can, on like a very larger life scale, it can look like, you know, something really terrible happening and being able to say, I need, I need help. Like if, I don't know why this is the first thing that comes to mind, but like a family member, a close friend passes away and saying, I need help. I need to go to therapy. I need to talk to someone that can be mental strength. It can also be in a very performance-based setting. You know, you're out in a race and you're starting to get tired or you realize that you're falling off your pace and being able to notice, adjust, correct, kind of self-coach yourself in that moment of, no, I want to keep trying. Maybe I'm not hitting my A goal, but I'm not just going to bail entirely and I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to work through this. I have some skills to use. It's Or even if it is saying, I need to take the DNF today. Like there's a lot of different ways that it can look, but... It's really just looking at the circumstances that you have, understanding that there's stress and dealing with it in whatever way is going to be best for you. And so being a perfectionist is obviously, or and having like the all or nothing mentality is obviously an enemy of being mentally strong. Yeah, absolutely. That is a hard thing. And I see that a lot in endurance athletes across, you know, runners, triathletes, cyclists, just in general, a lot of us have that. But yeah, it's some of mental strength is understanding that that all or nothing mentality is not being mentally strong. I'm not saying like you're not mentally strong if you are like that, but we start to think that that is what mental strength looks like. So then we do things at all costs and we push through when we probably should not. And it just leads to some unhealthy behaviors. So some of it and what I work with athletes on is identifying when that is helpful for you and when that is not. Because if you are an all or nothing person or you fall into more of a perfectionist personality, there's times when that can be super helpful and you can leverage that. But it's knowing when it's not helping you that we're going to adjust and scale. So what times would that be helpful? That's a good question. So I mean, I guess like it's obviously good because it makes you structured and keeps you focused on your goal. But then when there are things that complicate it and you know, you could be facing repercussions for being that way. That's when being a perfectionist is harmful to you. Yeah. And the the example that's coming to mind for me is actually more like something mountain bike related or skill-based where if you're trying to learn a skill, like in mountain biking, if you're trying to ride over a log and you're out there and you're the person who's like, I'm going to put the log in my backyard and I'm going to practice, 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 practice until I get it. And you have that internal drive to keep going and get it. That's one way that it could be helpful because you have that just, nope, I'm going to do it until I get it right instead of, well, like, I guess I'm just not going to learn this or, and not that saying maybe later is bad or wrong, but sometimes it can't be useful in that you're taking the feedback that you're getting from a coach. You recognize, hey, I didn't do this to the best of my ability. I want to make the change so that I, I do it perfectly correctly. Sometimes that can be taken too far, but there are times when that is a useful skill. And that's a, actually a trait that a lot of professional and elite athletes have is that desire to figure out how to get it right. And they're willing to do what it takes to figure out how to get it right. Unfortunately, sometimes they have to be told to scale back because maybe they're overtraining, practicing it too much in that quest to get it right. So yeah, it's a balance. 
Yeah. That, well, that's a great, like, like, I never thought about it being skill-based, like something like that, obviously that is helpful. And, but coming from a sport like running, you know, the more you do it to a point, you know, it, it is good, but obviously because this is a high impact repetitive sport, you don't want to do too much because then you're going to end up getting injured for sure. So knowing where, what your boundaries are. And it's so it's, I guess, because I don't know, maybe it's like a male dominated or male rooted notion, mental strength, but it's like, why is mental strength equated with not showing emotion and not asking for help? And it's, it's like really the true definition is the flip side of that, right? Yeah. I wish I knew where like the origins really came from, but I know what I see a lot in my field is when I work with college teams and they like the coaches promote that mental toughness is like soldiers. And I'm not saying that that is wrong in any capacity, but it's this image of men. (laughs) It's this image of men and it's doing physically hard things that sometimes don't even make sense. Like some of it is just, we're going to do it. Even if it sounds really dumb, this exercise, just to say that we can do it and we're tough. That doesn't necessarily make sense. (laughs) And again, no, I worked with the army for a little while. I was going to say, I know you've worked with the military. So yeah. And it's, as they, it depends which area in the military. I can a thousand percent not speak for like the military as a whole. (laughs) It's massive. But even they don't necessarily have that mentality of just the way that some of the college coaches try to frame it and sell it to their athletes as like an exercise and a training. But we get this, yeah, this picture. And then now it's turned more into the social media version of like 75 hard and David Goggins and just all this push through at, at whatever cost. And that's why in some ways I avoid the word mental toughness. And when I'm talking with athletes, I'm like, we're not focusing on how do we be mentally tough because you're automatically looking at it this other way. That is just typically not helpful. Yeah. And Steve Magnus in his book, I know he took on that notion and he he even talked about like Navy SEALs, like that's not actually how they view mental toughness. I mean, they're all about making sure that you are prepared and you have the skill set and the tools necessary to handle these given situations. It's not like all of a sudden you're in buds and they're dropping you off in the middle of a field and with no way to figure out how to get back or whatever. Yeah. And it's, well, I know like even too, some of the, some college teams will bring in Navy SEALs or like former Navy SEALs to do exercises and, or like, it's like a training day. And some of it is whether it's like really cold water, like exposure and not like a cold tub, but like they're in and they're experiencing the cold water and swimming around. And the coaches are seeing it as, oh, well, this will make you mentally tough because the cold water is so miserable and not understanding that some of what the Navy SEALs were using that for was because they would literally be experiencing that cold water as they were training for their event, essentially. Like it was the same thing, but it was being executed and used in two very different ways. Like that's where I struggle. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into that. Cause like, I have a problem with, you know, this, the cold, the ice baths are back again. And like, I have such a hard time believing that if you take 11 minutes of cold water immersion a week, like that is going to transfer to being able to push past the wall in or like shut down your central governor and you know, run this super fast time. Like how, is there any truth to this like light exposure 
or this daily exposure or regular exposure in these other areas to that being transferred to your physical performance and whatever sport you're doing. Like, it just seems like such a reach to me. Yeah, I will say that I am not the most up to speed on all of the research. I haven't read all of it, but I do know that it is murky. I know that there is... Cold, murky waters is what we're in here. Yeah, there is definitely some research supporting it, but there's also a lot of research not. And I think just more research needs to be done, to be honest. How much and how quickly people are just jumping on, like, this is the solution and the answer, that is a little bit alarming. And in general, I get that not everybody is experienced in understanding research and how we should apply research. But just because one study was done does not mean that we should change our whole lives based on one study. Like certain fields don't have a ton of studies done on things just because it's either new or they don't have a lot of funding necessarily. Like you'll definitely see a lot more studies done for, you know, in in the medical field where it's been pretty established and there's a lot of money, et cetera. But I don't know. I see a lot with some of these like biohacking type things where it's like a study comes out that cold water exposure is good. And now all of a sudden it's all over Instagram. It's all over social media that we must do this thing. But then there's also a study that's saying, Hey, we actually can't see this at all. And it's a little questionable. We're not sure. And we're, we're just running with it. And like, I think we just need to do more. I think that there's like, I look at people that do open water swimming. Cause I work a lot and I'm very in with the swimming community. People that do cold water open water swimming, I feel like that type of cold water exposure has a lot more benefit because there's a purpose to what you're doing and you're you're swimming in it and you are, I think, building mental toughness and mental strength in, you're not just getting in for two minutes and then getting out. You are in it and you are doing a race. You have to understand how your body's working. You are actually, you know, you can't just after a minute go, oh no, I'm too cold. I got to bail. Like you have to really work through and process that. I would be more curious to see the studies on that cold water type of exposure than I spent a minute or two in a cold tub or a cold shower. Now I'm tough. Right. Yeah. I just feel like there has to be more of a direct correlation and more of like teaching your body, hey, I've been here before, you know, and it's like the experience, like if you're swimming in cold open water and you're starting to do it more on a regular basis, then you know, like, okay, it's going to be really uncomfortable for the first few minutes, but if I can stick it out, then it's going to get better. Like, it's going to be, it's teaching your body, like I said, in your brain, like, oh, I've been here before. Whereas it is not the same if you're sitting in an ice cold water or tub filled with ice cold water, you know? Yeah. And some of the benefit you get from sitting in the cold tub or doing the the cold exposure is not necessarily from the cold itself, but from doing something that you don't enjoy. And it's a little bit of building the habit of just, I can do things that make me uncomfortable. So some of it is even, you know, I think of a weird analogy, but like, you know, teaching kids to like pick up their clothes, which yes, that's valuable in itself of having a, you know, a clean room. But some of it is, no, I want to make sure you're doing this and building the habit of, no, you pick up after yourself. There's, you know, two benefits to that. So there is benefit to doing something on a regular basis that makes you uncomfortable that can then feed into other similar, but not the same experiences. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think how you get that uncomfortable experience can vary and differ. I know some people will choose to do running races and choose to do trails and ultras and do things because they know that it is an uncomfortable experience for them and it's pushing them out of their comfort zone. And it helps remind them, 
I can do these hard things. I can get out of my comfort zone. And it helps them in other areas of their life, whether that's school, career, being a parent and going, hey, I can run an ultra. I can do a marathon. I can you know, enter XYZ. I know that I can do these things. I have experience getting out of my comfort zone. I think it's more about doing the things that are pushing you more than just this water is really cold. <laughs> I think I'm just really against the ice baths because I hate being cold. <laughs> I'm like, let's challenge ourselves with a nice, warm Epsom salt bath. <laughs> you know, it can be really uncomfortable those first 30 seconds. I'm tough. Okay, I'm just kidding. With that in mind, what are some things we can do every day or on a regular basis that will help us or potentially help us be mentally strong when we're performing. And in this case, since this is a running podcast for running, whether it's a hard workout or a race. So you said, you know, we'll start there, like doing something that's outside of your comfort zone. And that can be anything. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be physical or. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that you kind of <laughs> can't do. I am a person that I'm not necessarily a big like biohacking fan and being like, Again, like you don't need to take this this cold bath or these very like tangible specific things. I am a person that much more promotes working, you know, doing what's going to work for you. So some of it is like I always tell people step one is building awareness around you and your habits, your thoughts, your emotions. So you can recognize when you're starting to get uncomfortable, when you're starting to feel out of control, when you're starting to feel nervous or whatever the things are, just having the awareness of them. And a lot of times we're going to say that we're very aware. We are less aware than we think. So that is actually like typically for a good few weeks, I give athletes homework of like, you are, I want you to just pay attention to things because you typically are going to have thoughts and reactions that tell you that you're nervous or uncomfortable well before you're like consciously aware that you are or thinking. So do you have them log like one uncomfortable experience a day or? It depends on the, it depends on the person. Sometimes it's just, you know, we'll take like, it might be the long run, one easy run, and then one interval run a week and be like, just write down your thoughts, your experiences. And sometimes in the beginning, it's more just kind of writing things down and identifying, and then we'll start to go back and look at it and pick it apart a little bit. But again, some of it is teaching athletes that your thoughts and your emotions and how your workout goes are all related. So sometimes like say you get a workout or you see that you're supposed to do a tempo run this afternoon. And when you see that come up on your calendar, you're already going, oh, I hate tempo runs. I don't want to do this. And then the tempo run goes not so great. And you're like, well, I don't know why that went went poorly, it must be. And you start looking for reasons or just going, I can't do this. I'm just bad at this type of run. Well, I'm not saying that the thoughts you had this morning of, oh, I hate tempo runs is what ruined your run. Like that's a big stretch, but it does impact it. And if you're thinking all day, I don't like tempo runs. I don't like this. I can't do these. I'm not good at them. Those thoughts are impacting how that workout is going to go. It's changing how you are feeling emotionally. It is changing how you are feeling physically. So some of it is building and understanding that connection because that's really the foundation for all mental skills, all changes that we're going to make. So whether it's mental strength based or not, we're going, we need awareness and we need to understand our thoughts and our emotions. From there, we kind of start working in reframing our thoughts, being more intentional with them, identifying what is helping us because we all have negative thoughts all the time. 
that is very normal. We have more negative thoughts than positive thoughts typically, and that is a normal human experience. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're in that workout and you have that negative thought and you're starting to feel, I don't want to do this, I don't know if I can do this, being able to recognize those thoughts, catch them earlier when they first start popping up, and then changing them to something that's going to be helping you and helping you in that moment instead of just like, you got this, it's fine, I love this tempo run. If you hate tempo runs and you're trying to tell yourself you love them, your brain is like, that's incorrect. No, you do not. So it's looking at just what's going to be helpful for you, but really starting to identify that and then implement. And it sounds simple sometimes or like kind of more general and basic, but it is a hard thing to do because we have so many thoughts. Go ahead. So I would say like tempo runs, it's interesting you use that because those are ones that's a workout I do not look forward to doing. And so for me, like I would flip it and look at it as I don't enjoy doing tempos because they were challenging for me because it is a weak point that I need to focus on in order to reach my goals. So is, would that be a good way of approaching it or? Yeah, if you, I would say in general, yes. And if mostly if you feel that that is helping you, yes. So it really is going to come down to just what's effective for each person. And sometimes you figure that out through trial and error. I know one of my runners, they, she lives in Arizona, so it gets really hot sometimes for some of their runs and stuff or races. And her cross country coach will have them joke and go like shiver and be like, Ooh, it's so cold as like just a joke around. It's not that bad. We can handle it. And it's a small thing, but they find that to kind of just break the heat a little bit on, you know, it just kind of makes them laugh a little bit. It makes them go, okay, we can actually do this. So it can be something like that. It can be reframing it to understanding how it's going to help your race, why you're doing it. It can straight up just be, I know I'm not good at this and I need experience doing things that make me uncomfortable and that are really hard because in a race, especially a marathon or those, some of those longer races, you're going to have a low point and you're going to be really uncomfortable and being able to know I can work through this. Even if the tempo run, even if you don't nail the paces and like the number side of it, not giving up in itself can be very valuable. And if you know that in the workout and you're just kind of connect it back and have be able to pull from those experiences that you had and say, yeah, I kept going in this. I know I have the ability to be uncomfortable and keep going. It's not going to make me fall apart. It's not going to, you know, it's in the moment, you know, it's not going to kill me. Like you just have that awareness because in the, like when you're doing something really hard, your brain to some extent is like, we can't do this. Like we can't keep going. And it feels not possible deep down somewhere inside you, you know, that you can, but your brain is telling you, no, stop. We don't like this. So being able to override that part of your brain and be like, no, 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 we have all this experience still going. And a lot of people look at workouts as knowing that they can run certain paces and that's super valuable too. I don't want to minimize that. But sometimes even knowing, hey, my brain can keep going even when I feel tired or when I don't want to do this. I know I can keep going. I know I can coach myself through this. That is just as valuable as knowing I can hit marathon pace for 10 miles. Yeah. And that's such an important point too, because for long distance events, I realized like that it's not the physical part. It's the mental. It's, I mean, it's long and staying engaged, especially when you're trying to hit a certain pace, that is very hard. So yeah, it's like, it's not even just trying to hone your mental toughness. It's just 
the stamina of staying engaged for that period of time when you're doing the same thing for hours. <laughs> like I ran a marathon a few weeks ago and that was my realization. I was like, this is really boring. <laughs> like this is really hard to stay in it for almost three hours. So this is personal, but when I'm having, when I am confronted with something that I know is going to be hard, I try to like lower my standards to sort of take the pressure off. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like with the tempo run, you know, I may just say like, hey, if you don't hit the paces, that's okay. But if you maintain your effort, like a seven out of 10 or whatever, you can call it a success. And for me, that kind of helps relieve the anxiety or the same with a race. And I don't know if that's effective or if I'm letting myself off the hook. That might be something that only you can answer to some extent. So I know something that I'll have athletes do though is going into the workout. Sometimes they tell themselves things like that, or they'll even say, you know, like, hey, if you're not hitting this after one mile or 10 minutes, like you can stop. And some athletes will know that they will not stop. They just need to tell themselves beforehand that like, okay, you can just, it's not working. You can adjust your pace, but they know they won't. And it's more about just getting themselves to start. So some of it is, again, that awareness of yourself of, is this really just kind of to trick you to get into doing it? Or in the workout, are you really just kind of settling for not necessarily stopping, but like the bare minimum and not pushing yourself? There is a time and a place. And sometimes we look at starting out, if maybe we're doing the minimum or just focusing on maintaining, maybe that's a great place to start to make those tempo runs feel less daunting and overwhelming and get more comfortable doing them. And then we start pushing and raising that threshold. Because a lot of times we go from like zero to we want to go zero to 100. And that is very hard for us to do. If something feels very overwhelming, very daunting, or even we're just trying to, you know, start working out in the morning, right? And you see the people who are like, I'm getting up two hours earlier than usual. Oops, I hit my alarm maybe let's try for like 30 minutes before and st and kind of work your way there. So sometimes it's just building up that tolerance and that threshold. Yeah. Again, that's the like negating the all or nothing mentality because then you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot before you even start. So you were talking about those negative thoughts that arise and in a way that's our brain trying to protect itself, right? Or protect the body. Is that the same as the central governor? that kicks in and no yeah it's uh i don't know i don't want to it's a little bit of a murky <laughs> topic so there's even some quite like not fantastic research about the central governor which i to some extent don't really want to get into <laughs> it opens a lot of a lot of things <laughs> that i'm not super sure i want to want to talk about but you don't have to we can just talk about like the negative thoughts and how to override them yeah so I want to just in general for everybody to hear negative thoughts are very common. They are very normal. They are not necessarily bad. Yes, we maybe want to minimize them, shift them. Absolutely. However, you will not ever, ever, ever be able to get rid of all of your negative thoughts. So if that is your goal, that will not happen. Brains do not allow that to happen. So we need to adjust our expectations because <laughs> I do get some people who are like, I don't ever want to think negatively and they'll really work on their, their thinking and, you know, their self-talk. And then all of a sudden they get a negative thought before race and they're like, I failed. I couldn't like, no, that is very normal. <laughs> so having that understanding first is really good. And then when I talk to people about self-talk, positive thinking, negative thinking, I really frame it as, is it effective 
or ineffective. And for some people, negative thinking in ways can be effective. I see this a lot when you're in the gym and you're weightlifting and you're kind of like, so like shit talking yourself a little bit and just trying to get yourself like pumped up and ready to go. So some of it is understanding what, what works for you. I know I keep saying that throughout like everything is it's really individual to you. But when we're finding ourselves neg- like thinking negatively and it is not helping us, I always start with telling people, ask yourself, what would be helpful in this moment? What is a helpful thought that I can have? And it might not be a positive one. It might just be more neutral or it might be something that's very instructional based. And it could even be just like pay attention to your breathing. It can be so many different things. But when we're having those negative thoughts, we want to really take a minute to reflect on what do I need to tell myself right now? So, so often I see athletes try to jump to, again, trying to convince themselves that they do love the really cold or hot weather, or they do love the tempo run, or it's this very forced and fake positivity, trying to really override the negative thoughts. Your brain will absolutely catch if it's like a BS thought, essentially. If it is not true, not believable, and it's not real for you, it's really, really hard. And that negative thought just keeps coming back because it's like, well, no, you don't love this. So like, why are you trying to tell me you do? We know you don't. So even if it's just, again, kind of reframing that tempo run or reframing it into something that maybe is, hey, I know you don't like this. You don't have to like this. I tell us, you know, athletes all But we're doing it anyways. Well, especially with, uh, you know, like I get a lot of triathletes that don't like open water swimming or they hate going to the pool. You don't have to love it. Our goal might not be to get you to love it, but it's to get you to do it because it's a part of your race and you have to, you have to at some point get in the water for that triathlon or you might not survive your triathlon. So you have to do it. How are you going to get yourself to do it in a way that's just not miserable? And I know that's kind of a really low bar to have, but sometimes there's parts of training that we just don't like. And that's okay. You can either choose to, I'm not going to do this unless you're a professional and a coach is mandating that you do certain things. You do have that autonomy to say, I don't, I'm not going to do this type of workout. Give me something else. I don't necessarily recommend that, but you have that choice. Or you can say, this is really not my favorite, but how am I going to figure out how to get it done? Because I know it's valuable. We don't have to love it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a slippery slope. Like if you give yourself that out, it's going to start popping up in other ways. So what are, so I know there's like an endless amount of ways that you can address those negative thoughts, but like, so one is shifting your attention someplace else, neutral, like your breath. Another, it might be to to try to positive talk yourself out of it, but it sounds like, you know, while that might be the most obvious, it's not the most effective for a lot of people. Another is trying to reframe it. Are what are some other like more popular ways that people? Because it it takes experimentation, and then it's also situational too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Something that I have athletes do because. Athletes typically do this in other ways. I like using visualization. And I think visualization is a skill. So the more that you're practicing using the skill, the more beneficial it is. And so, you know, if you're someone who wants to you visualize the race itself or doing, you know, the skill, whatever the thing is, just the more you practice visualizing almost anything, <laughs> the more beneficial it is because you're just, you know, more repetition building up that skill. So once we've identified what some of your patterns are, what some of the, you know, when the negative thoughts start coming up, once you've identified when that is, I'll have athletes 
before the before the race or the workout visualize okay when i'm doing the tempo run we'll just stick with that when i'm doing my tempo run and these negative thoughts start coming up how do i want to respond so they have essentially a plan for themselves and it can be you know shifting it can be reframing it can be sometimes even just something like i will take a sip of water and that indicates kind of like clearing away there's different strategies but having them see themselves doing it and succeeding with it because we all know in the moment when your brain is not in a great place it is really hard to change it it is hard and once you're physically pushing yourself especially like pretty hard you have less brain power essentially to like argue with yourself or reframe those thoughts it gets more challenging so if you already have a plan in place and you know here's what i'm going to reframe those negative thoughts to be here's what i'm going to shift my attention to instead and I'm going to see myself do it. I'm going to practice doing it in my mind before it makes it easier in the moment. It's not, it doesn't always have to be these big fancy strategies. I know some people like do the, like, I'm going to snap my hair tie on my wrist, or I'm going to, again, like drink water, shake it all, like rub your leg to kind of shake it off. Like you, there are strategies you can use. It's not necessarily that one strategy is better than the other, but it's just doing something that works for you and actually doing it instead of thinking about it. And then like, oops, I didn't. Yeah. I, um, one of the issues that I encountered with visual visualization was that then it was like embedding expectation or anticipation of bad things that were going to happen. So it was like, I was assuming that I was going to feel terrible at this point in the race and that I was going to start looking at my watch and then shit talking myself about, you know, the pace that I wasn't keeping. And so I, I kind of stopped visualizing myself to avoid, to avoid that. I don't know. Like, have you had that happen to some of the athletes you've worked with or do you have advice for that? For that? Yeah. So when you found that happening, were you like, what were you in trying to visualize that you kept ending up at that place? <laughs> well, that's a good question. You know, I think I was trying to, figure out how I assumed that was going to happen. And so I was trying to figure out how I would successfully navigate my way away from those negative thoughts. But then instead I was just almost making them happen. So then I just stopped and I was and when that, when I, in the marathon I ran a few weeks ago, I just decided that I was going to turn my brain off and just run by effort and be happy with how I was doing and just keep moving forward. And honestly, that helped. I don't know. Just like kind of realizing that I was anticipating those feelings and that was wrong. And so instead of trying to figure out what magical way I was going to stop those or turn those thoughts around, I was just going to turn my brain off. And every time a negative thought came in, I was just going to be like, nope, shut it down. Keep moving forward. Okay. Yeah. So when we're visualizing more negative based things and like problem solving visualization, we want to do a number of different ways and things so that we don't build in. This is the bad thing that will absolutely happen. And sometimes it is recognizing within yourself and your personality. If you are someone who's going to really kind of harp on one thing, or it's going to make you all of a sudden go, all these negative things really will happen. Maybe that's not the most productive way to do it for you, which is like, and I have some people who absolutely despise visualization. There is a lot of really solid research behind it. But if you don't like it, that's fine. Like we don't have to do it. Like to some extent, that's as simple as it can be as 
okay, we'll do something else. (laughs) But there is benefit in seeing yourself problem solve, but it has to be different types of problems. I sometimes even like having people do it when it's focused on the workout, because then we're not attaching the thing going wrong to the race. It's just seeing it for like the workout. And not that we want the workout to then go wrong, but that's, I'd rather that than the race, to be honest. But if it's more about teaching yourself how to problem solve it, that can be helpful. Once you're within like a two week window of the race, you should only be visualizing like positive and it going. Oh, interesting. Because you don't want to see the bad things happening and have that fresh in your mind. So that is, that's part of it. I will have people who maybe don't like visualization, say they don't like it or, you know, X, Y, Z. I'll have them write out their race plan, but include the mindset that they want to have. So a lot of times when we're writing out a race plan, we're going, okay, I want to average this pace for the first five miles. And here I'm going to take my gel and the very strategic, you know, numbers based plan. Well, I want to know what are you going to be thinking about or focusing on during those first five miles. And it can be, I'm just going to, you know, turn off my mind and enjoy it. That's, that's fine. But what is the plan? Where do you want to be at? And it does not have to be when XYZ goes wrong. Here's what I do, but just here's what I'm planning to do. I want to spend some time enjoying it. I want to check in at this point, you know, sometimes just checking in with yourself can be really good. How am I feeling? What's going on? But when you're writing it out, you are visualizing it. Because we think in images. So if you're someone who struggles to visualize or you struggle to just sit down and, you know, kind of quiet your mind to think about the race, a really helpful way to get around that and starting to add in the benefits of visualization without necessarily doing it is just handwrite or type out your plan. Because as you're doing it, you're thinking in images. So you're doing a version of visualization. So that can be a helpful way to either start that process or get some of the benefits without like having to sit down and do it. But I would definitely not be doing more negative based problem solving visualization within a few weeks of the race. You don't want that fresh in your mind. That is such a key nugget and makes so much sense. I'm surprised I've never heard or read that anywhere else. So you can, that's great. Okay. So we've talked a lot about what to do like in the sport. Are there habits that you recommend in our daily lives that can help hone this mental strength? One that I'm a huge fan of is meditation. Just whether it's meditation, whether it's deliberate breathing, just taking time to, I don't want to say learn how to quiet your mind because it's very hard to quiet our mind. And I think sometimes there's the expectation that we're going to be able to quiet it. Sometimes we can, sometimes we cannot. But being able to learn learn how to not accept every thought as true or as a fact and just, you know, having thoughts and kind of letting them pass through your mind. I love the analogy that Headspace uses of thoughts like clouds just kind of passing through your mind. I love that analogy. And just really, again, building that skill. I know some people are hesitant with meditation or deep breathing in that they go, I was upset. I tried it. It didn't work. It's a skill too. You have to do it often. And sometimes you don't really notice changes or things happening in, in like a lot of different things. Like when you're out running, you don't necessarily notice that you're very slightly getting more fit and faster until all of a sudden you have that one run and you're like, whoa, I really got faster all of a sudden. And no, all of the work that you just did. But on the day to day, we don't always notice the changes. 
So that's the tough thing with meditation, but that is a very, very valuable skill to add to your day. And you can do it for like a minute. Like it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. I sit down. There's, you can meditate while you are walking. There's so many different ways to do it, but that is a huge, huge skill. I definitely recommend everybody add that. Yeah, I've downloaded, I've used the Calm app and Headspace. And I think even like Peloton now has guided meditation. And yeah, I always found that that was helpful that you could do it like while you were folding the laundry or going for a walk or in the car. Like it doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, sitting in a tranquil setting and <laughs> and trying to clear your mind. And yeah, you're right. That's such a powerful tool to learn that like thoughts are not facts and they come and they go and they are not permanent. Anything else? I'm trying to think of what I would say. I'm not a big, like, just general, like, blanket. Everybody should do this. Everybody should take a cold shower. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I do recommend to, I guess, most of my athletes. I have keep like a training journal every day, but it's a little bit different than the typical, like, I ran this many miles. I think the one that I give my athletes doesn't even talk about like the physical part of the workout until almost the very end, but it's very, it's much more mental based and just kind of, mental it's about you but whether even if you're not an athlete or even if you don't want it to be athlete or training focused just taking a little bit of time to not necessarily journal but just check in with yourself sometimes i don't feel like physically writing everything out but i want to be able to take that you know minute to just check in with myself on how am i feeling what do i need you know what's going on is there anything coming up soon that i'm anticipating that i'm going to need some either support like even from myself and the skills I know or from other people and just the way that the world is right now is in some ways great with like all of the technology and stuff we have. It can be very good and helpful, but it also has made us very kind of detached from ourselves. <laughs> like we don't stop to check in very often with ourselves and truly check in. And sometimes it's when we do check in, it's even that okay, I have to say I did it for my to stay on my streak of doing it. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> and we're not really, really paying attention to like, how am I feeling? So getting more comfortable with that, because I know sometimes for myself, even I will be in a not great mood or experiencing some emotions. I'm even going, what emotion is this? Like, what, why am I feeling this way? What is going on? And trying to work through and identify what is leading me to feel this way? Is there anything I can do about it? Sometimes it's outside of my control. Sometimes I don't always find the answer. <laughs> but sometimes it's like, oh, hey, I'm still thinking about this thing from a couple days ago. That's why I'm feeling really anxious right now. Even though when I just look at my day, there's nothing that's making me feel anxious. But I have to stop and really check in with myself and kind of work it, th work through it and go, okay, I'm feeling phys like I'm noticing that I'm a little jittery. I notice my heart is racing. That sounds like it's anxiety. What am I thinking about that could be leading to anxiety? And really just kind of picking it apart. Sometimes it takes like 15, 20 minutes to get to where I realize it. But even just doing that, <laughs> like that in itself is super valuable. And I wish more people, you know, kind of just checked in with themselves. Oh, yeah. I had that moment last night where I was getting really agitated with my family. I was trying to get everybody to bed and nobody. And I was like, why am I being, why am I so agitated? And then I realized I, I was stressed about something that's happening in a few weeks. But it took me like 
pausing and being like, well, I had a really good day. You know, tomorrow's going to be a good day. Why am I snapping at everybody and getting so irritated that people aren't moving in the direction of their bedrooms like I need them to be? Yeah, I think. And I mean, that is just like a great life skill. Like when my kids are moody, you know, I try to prompt them to be like, okay, so what is it? Does something happen today? Are you, is there something coming up that's making you feel anxious? Because yeah, I think so many of us are walking around in sour moods and we have no idea why. Yeah. It can impact your relationships with those people too, because it's very normal that whoever is around us, whoever we're most close to, that we essentially know or hope won't like leave or abandon us kind of thing. We know that we can take our frustrations out on them and not that we should, but our brain knows in like a very, you know, protective sense. If I'm frustrated about something, I can probably snap at my husband and like the consequences won't be terrible. And I don't, maybe I can just like yell at him, but not, not anything bad, but that's not good for that relationship. And we don't want to be acting that way with our kids, with our family, with our friends, because over time that does really deteriorate that relationship on, you know, on everybody's side, no matter who's doing it. So being able to catch and recognize this has nothing to do with them. And not that we need to be perfect and always in a happy, positive mood, but if there's something coming up that's in a few weeks that you're, you know, stressed about, I don't want to say that you're just constantly snapping at your kids, but think about over the next few weeks, how many times that you might get stressed and agitated and upset with people in your life. That's not fair to them. We want to absolutely go, okay, this is what it is. What can I do to help myself with the emotions that I'm feeling with these thoughts so that I can show up the way I want to with my family and then handle this stress the way that's going to help me? Yeah. And I think it's great to recognize for yourself, but then also for the people that you're around, you know, because you will often be on the receiving end. I mean, as a parent, like, especially when my kids have started school, they're perfect angels in school. And then when they come home, they're like, just little demons. You know, <laughs> what is going on? And then on the flip side, you know, you're like, oh, I need to give them grace and be patient. But you're also like, oh, well, that means that they really love us and like realize that our love is unconditional, that they feel safe, that they can act this way towards us. But it's still, yeah, I mean, it's it's such an important thing to recognize for yourself and then for the people that you're living with or around that, you know. It, lots of times they're not actually mad at you. You just happen to bear the brunt because you're the safe, safe space. Yep, absolutely. Is there anything we didn't talk about that we should have? Ooh, I don't think so. In some ways, there's <laughs> everything we could talk about. Right, <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I think we covered it. So many, like, I think pretty much every guest that I've had on, I'm like, I need you to come back on because we've only just skim the surface of what we could talk about. Because all like just really quick thinking, I'm like, I'm sure spending time in nature can help with your mental, like anything that's going to build your just overall mental health is going to help you when you're in a tough spot, whether it's in life or on race day or during that tempo run. Yeah. Well, I guess I will quickly add is the way that I kind of frame things and explain it to athletes is, you know, we'll talk about like the, like a seesaw or like, you know, filling your cup, things, you know, different analogies like that. But the more stress that you have, whatever that stress is, whether it's physical work, training, family, you know, whatever the things are, the more that's going on, the more essentially self-care you have to do. And so a lot of times we really, really let that cup, that cup like drain when we have all the, all the hard stuff going on and we almost go, I don't have the time to 
eat more vegetables. I don't have the ability to sleep and do the little things. Sometimes you absolutely do. It's almost like a protective defense that we want to have and really try to build up our mental wellness so that when the stressful things come, we are already like the resilience is there for us to use instead of already being really depleted. And you have to look at it. You know, it's like we know race week, we're going to take extra good care of ourselves. And some of that is related to stress. Some of it's not. But like we think, hey, I have this big thing coming up. I got to sleep. I got to eat. I need to recover. Same thing when it's, you know, a big presentation at work. We have to still take care of ourselves and do those things so that your body and your brain can handle the stressor that's happening. If you're running on empty, you cannot handle those stressful things. And that's when we start really snapping at people. That's when things really start going downhill. Yeah. And that's such an important shift because during those stressful times, that's when people think, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time to sit and meditate for 10 minutes or journal or get enough sleep or make myself a healthy meal. And that's when you need it most. And that's, I mean, my website is called The Mother Runners. And it, I mean, that's like at the core of what I preach. My mission is that like, because our lives have become so much more stressful trying to care for and raise these human beings, like we need to take care of ourselves that much more, whether that's through running or something else. Yep, absolutely. Well, this has been a very enlightening conversation. I'm so glad that we finally got to connect. It was definitely worth the wait. Yeah, this is great. All right. Well, thank you. You have a good weekend. Oh, yes. It's Friday. Yes, you too. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you, Shannon. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. You can find the full show notes for every episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources we mentioned at runnerclick.com slash podcast. We would love it if you follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave a rating and review if you are enjoying the content. Talk to you next time.